We're passing out a sheet that says Seven Feasts of the Lord Unfolding Full Salvation. And the right side of it is colored, and that focuses on the New Testament fulfillment, and that's where our focus will be. Um, hope that this will be something you can use and keep handy as something that could help you in preparation any time that we come to the Lord's table. The theme this morning is God's full salvation revealed at the Lord's table. And so Philippians 2, 6 through 9, or 6 through 8 were, was read, and you probably picked up on the fact that there were a few extra words that we put in. We put the word Jesus in, because that's who it's about. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and... Jesus at Bethlehem, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus at Calvary humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Fathers, we come to this sacred time of looking at your word and coming to your table we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God to be upon us, that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would come to the table in sacred awe and wonder. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've studied the Bible through the years, I've become more and more persuaded that it is a tragedy beyond compare that many people in churches all over the land, when they have the Lord's Supper, is typically just a tack on, and that we seldom or never think in terms of how that the Lord's Supper is a fleshing out in one event the total message of all seven Old Testament feasts. And as we look at what was going on and, and what is the application in the New Testament of these feasts. It speaks to us of various aspects of the ministry of Christ at Calvary. And so we need to look carefully. We, we don't want to just come to the Lord's table and just go through a routine. We need to be in awe and wonder. And it should never become old hat to us. Looking at the Lord's Supper through the lens of the seven feasts of the Lord, we see, where we, we see where we've been, where we are, and where God is leading us. In one simple, profound observance, we rejoice in all the blessings of the seven-fold feast. So, we won't have time to read the passages in Leviticus, but I hope you will. 
but I'll just make reference. And if you want to use your outline, you can follow along just on the on the uh, the right-hand side, because those are the seven points corresponding to the seven feasts in New Testament application. And the first one is found in Leviticus 23, 4 through 5, the Feast of the Passover. Probably the most well-known, and we know the story of the Old Testament, that the primary focus was a Passover to remember the night of the death angel passing over their homes and sparing the firstborn. Now again, in the context of all of Scripture, the chief revelation of the Passover pointed to Christ, which he fulfilled in the New Testament. So the New Testament Passover marks the beginning of salvation. The Passover lamb. John said, Behold the lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. It's not an afterthought with God. In 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. So the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament is the same. Not when I see your good works, but when I see the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And I don't believe for a moment that God's intention in the Old Testament was just a remembrance of that Passover night, but a call to see that the only way that a sinful man can relate to a holy God is through the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb. Just remember that the Israelites deserved all that the Egyptians got that night, for they too were sinners. And today, we sit or stand here this morning deserving hell as much as anybody in the world. And it's the mercies of God displayed at Calvary that makes all the difference. Have you been gripped by that? When we come to the Lord's table, does that thought run across your mind? God the Father satisfied his own holy wrath by the blood of his Son. What an astounding wonder. No other way it could be done. By means of the gracious work of Jesus at Calvary, sin's debt is paid. God's holy wrath is satisfied. Sin's power is broken. These are things that should be upon our minds when we come to the Lord's table. Or for that matter, every day of our lives. By means of the work of Jesus at Calvary, your sin debt is paid, Christian. God's holy wrath against you is satisfied. Jesus paid it, took care of it. And sin's power is broken. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Have you come to grips with this? To where there you come? You might not have been looking at the calendar, but you, you cry out, Oh God, you have been merciful to me as a sinner. Thank you for paying my sin debt. For the response at the end of the way today, we'll sing an old hymn. Uh, some of you may not know it, 
but it's called Look and Live. It's based on the concept of the brass serpent that Moses raised, raised up in the wilderness. They had poison on the inside from the snakes. No way to get rid of it. The solution was from the outside. God had Moses to raise up a brass serpent on a pole, brass being symbolic of judgment. And so the word was look and live. And those who looked were by that look acknowledging, I've got a problem. I can't solve it. I've got inward poison. And God has made a provision. Look and live. We're no different. We have to come to that place, and the Spirit of God brings us to that place where we see that we have the poison of sin on the inside. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough good works. Nothing can relieve us from our guilt, from the condemnation that we duly deserve because of our sin. But God has made a provision. There's no other way under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved, saved through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, look and live. Look and live. In Leviticus 23, 6 and 8, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed. Leaven typically in the scripture refers to sin. This feast pictured that those who were delivered from death by the shedding of and applying of the blood of the Lamb, their sins were forgiven. And now henceforth, God had a righteous claim on their lives. God has a righteous claim on your life, Christian. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What does the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which, you, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. And earlier in chapter 5, uh, verse 6 and 8, he says... Your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that it may be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So there is the New Testament connection here that is indisputable. But also remember, as you begin the Christian life, or even if you've been a Christian for a long time, but when you begin the Christian life, you'll experience something that the ancient Israelites faced. When they started out on their journey of freedom, what happened? Pharaoh started after them, chased after them. And one of the things that happened to the Christian, that people said, well, I didn't have any problems until I became a Christian. Well, you become a Christian, you won't have any problems anymore. You don't understand. Uh, 
Your flesh and Satan doesn't like being deprived. And so if a a person becomes a Christian and the world, the flesh, and the devil will entice you to go back to the world of sin, self, and society. And so in obedient faith, let us put away the leaven of malice and wickedness. In Leviticus 23, 9 through 14, the third feast is the feast of first fruits. And in simple statement, the Israelites could not harvest their early grain crop until the first bundle of grain was cut and brought to the priest, and they were to wave it before the Lord. In the New Testament, the resurrected Christ is the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. He arose from the dead. He's accepted by the Father. And because Jesus, the first fruits, is accepted, we also are accepted in him. James 1.18 says, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Romans 8.23 tells us that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that we have the resurrection life of Christ and the blessed hope of future resurrection. Now it's interesting and important to note that the Feast of First Fruits was always held three days after Passover. Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. He arose from the dead three days later. There is a consistent flowing out of Scripture, Old and New Testament, in perfect agreement. All of it moving toward what we have in the New Testament. So when we experience Jesus Christ in saving grace, at the very front end of our life as a Christian, we enter in to these first three feasts. We experience Passover. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice, the substitute, our sin-bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Passover Lamb. Through him, we're delivered from wrath and from slavery and from guilt, and we also experience unleavened bread. We read earlier that you're not, you're no longer leavened. You're, le- you're unleavened. And so we're called, we're motivated by the amazing grace of God to separate ourselves from sin. When Jesus Christ has gripped your soul in Passover, and you've seen that your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Following Jesus, turning your back on sin, is not something someone has to pull out of you. Oh, I hate to do this, but I don't want to go to hell. No. There's a motivation to love him because he first loved us. 
And that's why it's so important to regularly come to the Lord's table. We're still in a battlefield, and we need a reminder to go out and love him, to go out and follow him, to go out and serve him, to go out and say no to the flesh because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. First fruits, we are consecrated. We are accepted in the beloved because of his resurrection. We are set apart from him. We not only are saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we are consecrated, saved to a new life in Christ. The fourth feast is the Feast of Pentecost. This is another one that we have a little bit of familiarity with and very often in a wrong sense. If I were to ask you, are you a Pentecostal Christian? Most of us would probably say no. If you're not a Pentecostal Christian, you're not a Christian. Now, wait and let's see what the Word of God teaches about it. We're not talking about Pentecostalism as a denomination or non-denomination or or certain things that go on in our culture. Let's go to the Word of God and see what this is about. So again, here is what is significant and certain for us. First of all, Jesus died on Passover. He was raised on first fruits. The Holy Spirit came on the day, the precise day of Pentecost. And when he came on the day of Pentecost, he came for a variety of powerful purposes. Uh, He came to indwell every believer. He came to fill us. He, He came to baptize us into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. In John 14, uh, through uh, some verses in chapter 14, 15, and 16, uh, Jesus comes to teach us about Jesus, to bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus ever said, to tell us about things to come. So in Acts 1-8, he empowers believers for the evangelizing of the world. Uh, It's just a a blunt, clear statement. You shall receive the Holy Spirit, uh, and you shall be witnesses. And the word witness there literally means one who bears evidence. It's not talking about someone with the gift of gab. It's talking about someone who gives evidence of a transformed life by the power of the Spirit of God. And we'll take the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. Um, By the Holy Spirit, we have... Glorious manifestations of a miraculous fruit orchard. This is not optional Christianity. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, all of those things. Patience. You don't pray for patience. You're given patience. Stop grieving the Spirit. Start walking with Jesus. Stop yielding to the indwelling Holy Spirit who empowers us with those passages. We say, if I don't know anything about that, well, then come to Christ. You've missed him. He releases through us a, a glorious array of gifts that he uses to build up the body of Christ. All of these events happen at the beginning of the Christian life. Passover, deliverance from the judgment, the wrath of God, and from Satan, Unleavened bread, separation from sin, first fruits, consecration to Christ, Pentecost, 
indwelling power for holy, bold, witnessing life as a Christian. In other words, we're living in the Pentecostal age. Every true Christian, from a biblical sense, is a Pentecostal Christian. This is not a second work of grace. It is saving grace. Right now we're living in an interval interval time. As you look at your outline, uh, we're living in the midst of those first four feasts and New Testament fulfillment. Uh, That's the core and essence of daily Christian living. But we're in an interval time before the last three feasts. We're based on this solid rock foundation of Christ died for us. Christ our unleavened bread. Christ raised. Christ indwelling and empowering us. Our past is forgiven. Our present is empowered. And this is what we celebrate at the Lord's table. Have we been coming too lightly, too unthinkingly to the Lord's table? But all of this is not all. In the fall of the year, there was the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So in Leviticus 23 and 24, there was the Feast of Trumpets. And in this present hour, and in days ahead, there are two things that stand out. A call for soberness and a call for hope. Soberness. Sound the trumpets. The judgment and wrath of God is coming. Uh, we as Christians need to get a handle on this. Get a bunch of Christians together. It doesn't take long. Oh, all the bad things are happening. Oh, Biden is doing this. Uh, uh, th- these people are doing that. And oh, isn't it horrible? And what about God? Does he not set up over the kingdoms of men, even the basis of men? Is he not in charge? Are these people just running rampant? We are living in a time where the wrath of God is happening all around us. Romans 1. We're not the first generation. But it's certainly, in my lifetime, it's been mushrooming. Time for soberness. And this is stated out, it works itself out in, in the, the last book of the Bible, in Revelation uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 2 through 5. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the merchants of the earth earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. There are people who are making money hand over fist through sex all over the world. People in high places, little individuals with their own kingdoms seem to be beyond anybody's reach. And I heard another voice saying, Come out of her, my people. Be not partaker of her sins, that you receive not her plagues, for her sins have reached the heaven, 
and God hath remembered her iniquities. God never shows up late. He shows up on time. And if our eyes and our hearts are open, we're living in a time to be sober, not just because bad things are happening around us, but because the wrath of God is right now being poured out. And it's just getting started. So what are you doing? You bring me here to discourage me today? It's the word of God. But this feast of trumpets is also a sound of hope. Glorious hope that is ours because Christ is coming. 1 John 3, uh, 14 Well, 1 John 3, the first three or four verses. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, we are the sons of God. We're the sons and daughters of... You're a Christian? You are a son and daughter of God. You've experienced Passover and those... Feast in New Testament fulfillment by the grace of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. The first Corinthians passage that we always read in coming to the Lord's table, what does, how long are we to do this? Till he comes. A great hope. Jesus is coming back. Read Revelation 19 through 23. If you get to 23, you've gone too far. There's only 22 chapters. (laughs) Read Revelation 19 through 22. Living in the conscious awareness of Christ's coming is referred to in in John as a purifying hope. And so we come to the Lord's table till he comes. In coming to the Lord's table, we experience, we are acknowledging that we are in the experience of the first four feasts in New Testament fulfillment and that we have hope and confidence about what God is yet to do. Now in Leviticus 23:27, the sixth feast was the Day of Atonement. In the Old Testament, it's a sacred day of cleansing from sin. Today, as a Christian in Christ, because of Calvary, we've already been cleansed from sin's penalty and from sin's power. And our relationship cannot be severed. We can have our relationship hindered by grieving and quenching the Spirit. And so we often try to say, before we come to the Lord's table, let's make sure that we're coming with a clear conscience. We've gone to the throne of God, and we've confessed and repented of all known sin, and uh, we've made commitment, we've already done it, or we were making commitment to reconcile with any believer that we have not done so with. But because of Calvary, 
our sins are forgiven. There's a real sense in which, as a Christian, when you are praying about sin committed, you are not praying about any sin that has not already been forgiven. Jesus forgave all sin at Calvary. He's not having to take new action. You've not committed some sin today that was not dealt with at Calvary. So often in repenting of sin and dealing with sin, we we come short on giving thanks to God that our sins are forgiven. Oh Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Uh, So God has got to take some action, and if he doesn't take it, I'm not forgiven. Your relationship may be estranged, but I'm not asking God to forgive me of some sin that's not already been dealt with at Calvary. That's good news. That's encouragement to come boldly to the throne of grace. To the one who already knows the worst about men and has already dealt with all of the sinful past and is under the blood of Christ. And so I'm thanking God that he's already forgiven me. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me for grieving and quenching your spirit. We are already cleansed from the penalty of sin, from the ruling power of sin, and one day we'll be delivered even from the presence and possibility of sin. That's what lies before us. That's the hope that lies before us. The last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, speaks of consummation, completion, rest, fellowship with God, ruling and reigning with Christ forever, beholding him, seeing him face to face, set forth in Revelation chapter 22 and other places as well. The best is yet to be. It really is. So God calls us to delight in him and to delight in so great salvation. May we draw upon the grace of God. May we encourage one another never to come lightly to his table. I would say we don't always do that, but typically we send a newsletter out before the, sun, the week before the Lord's Supper Sunday. Why would I do that? Because you and I need to have our hearts prepared for the most sacred moment in Christian living. The most sacred time of worship that you will ever have is not when you've been thrilled at some convert concert or not when you've been thrilled by your favorite preacher, but the most sacred, the most powerful, the most necessary, the most exciting moment in all Christian worship is when we come to the Lord's table. It is the most sacred meeting we have. We need to have hearts prepared. Or else we'll just skim along on the surface. Or worse. Like the people at Corinth. They were coming to the Lord's table and had all manner of unrepented of sin in their life. 
And the Word of God says some of you are sick, some of you are weak, some of you have died because you are not discerning the body of Christ. The attitude with which we come to the Lord's table not only tells us where we are in our relationship to Jesus Christ, but it says something about what we think about our brothers and sisters. Sacred moments. Passover is first. The perfect lamb has been slain. The blood applied. All of these pointed to the day when God would send the perfect lamb, his son. He's done that, and we rejoice in that. This is why we don't have any big hoopla. We don't have any big, we're not trying to impress anybody with anything when we come to the Lord's table, except with Jesus. At the Lord's table, we celebrate the perfect lamb who came, who died, who arose, who ascended, who seated at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for us, and he's coming back, and we do this until he comes. He is the perfect fulfillment of everything spoken of in the seven feasts of the Lord in Leviticus chapter 23. So what a wonderful day we have today to come to celebrate Jesus, the risen the crucified, risen, ascended, coming King of kings and Lord of lords. We are gathered to glory in God's provision of Jesus, who humbled himself and came to Bethlehem on the way to Calvary. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Father, stir my heart, stir the hearts of all of us. Those who would be here today, O oh Father, without Christ, and therefore without hope, may this be the day when they look away from all of their failure and from all of their efforts to try to please you and look to the Lamb of God. The only way that we can have sins forgiven. The only way that we can be brought into the family of God, the only way, not only that all of our past has been cleared and washed away by the blood of Christ, but our future, no matter how difficult things might be here on earth, our future is secure and just downright exciting. To one day, be with Jesus, face to face, serving him, reigning with him for all eternity. Father, we turn to the revelation and we find the people, the angelic beings are there. They're constant in praise and worship and adoration. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can have a taste of heaven anytime we turn aside from ourself and our plans and come to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus and are having received him to worship him, to praise him, to say yes to him, to walk in his steps. And we bless you and praise you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.